Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Chris to pray. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or our website for ways to give. Been messing with mics for 50 years. I thought I knew how to do that, but um, Steve's always in the kitchen. <laughs> um, <clears throat> sorry, ladies, this is going to be another announcement for men. I'm sorry. Ladies, just, well, yeah? Okay, well, there's, there's a supportive wife. <laughs> Um, We're going to have a men's retreat. Yes, overnight. It's going to sleep in trees, be real men. Eat lots of meat. Uh, No, it's (laughs) it's October 14th and 15th. It is an overnight. Going to be at Summit Grove. More details to follow, but I just want to put that in your minds. October 14th and 15th. um, Somebody actually texted me or emailed me this week and said, I hear there's a retreat coming. When is it? I want to know when to take off work. So there it is, October 14th and 15th. Um, Bill Vanderbush is going to be our guest speaker there, so it should be really wonderful. Looking forward to it. And uh, to, to the lovely gentleman back there, I gave you a scripture from Matthew 5. It says 1 through 19. It was supposed to say 17 through 19. So I'm not going to read the other 16 verses, but I might look at them. Just wanted to prepare. Hi. <laughs> I was in my own little world here for a second. Um, Nathan talked about uh, in, in Galatians, and we're just, this is kind of like a, a three-week um, mini expose on, on Galatians. Galatians, uh, Galatians is the friend of, of Romans. If you read Romans, read Galatians. They're, they're kissing cousins, so to speak. Um, uh, they, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, the the optimum word that that's through the the whole thing is actually two. One is law, and one is grace. And I, I just want to say we live in one of two covenants. You can't live in both. You you live in one. If if you say, "Oh, I'm a part of the new covenant," but you embrace old covenant aspects, you're an old covenant person. Sorry. Um, you have ideals for the new covenant, but you're living in old. Um, and so you're either in law or you're in grace. And um, Paul, boy, talk about a guy that, you know, he, he watched and, and was in charge of having believers die. And uh, he had a huge conversion that we know of. Um, and I, I just have this, this idea that we personally, you love grace I mean, how many love the fact that God has given grace to you at some point in your life? I mean, seriously. Because we want it for ourselves. It's just hard sometimes to give it to others. Or it's hard to believe that God's going to give it to others. That's a big one. When others get grace that we've already condemned, that's a hard one for us. We want it for ourselves. So today I want to... you know, use last week's as, as kind of a springboard for me from Nathan had a wonderful word last week concerning Galatians. Uh, 
the aspect of the Judaizers who tried to come and tried to bring the law into this new order that was that was being settled and, and trying to, to get people to fulfill um, the, uh, the redemption process by the works that we have as opposed to resting in the redemptive process that Jesus did for us. And so uh, <clears throat> that's an incredible word. I, but I want to highlight one thing. Correct theology is so important. Um, my father was a bombardier in World War II, and he was in charge of dropping uh, this payload of whatever, 8 to 12 tons uh, that went down, and he, he, had, uh, he had a lever. He said he had a lever, and then the bombs went. And it could be 6, 8, 10, 12 bombs, and they're going down, and uh, there's no control. It was called carpet bombing. There's no control where they land. Um, how, when I was a number of years ago, when the Gulf War started, they started talking about these smart bombs. They might have had them for a while. I, I never knew about them. But they would, with a laser, they would paint a home or paint something, and then that bomb would hit that thing. It, it, was, it weren't carpeting an area to hit something or someone. They were, it was very precision-based, and they would just go right at the target. They'd, they'd paint it. It's a term they use. They'd paint it, and then they would hit that target. And so if theology is like that that if we have incorrect theology, we end up carpeting a whole area uh, and changing a whole area of our life when God wanted to work on one area. Does that make sense? Okay, incorrect theology, is, it's like that, uh, <clears throat> like that rocket that takes off that's just off one degree, and you take out the wrong neighborhood. And so we're like that. If, if we look at grace and law and have an incorrect understanding of it, um, it's like that rocket that's just, you can just be off a little bit, but you end up in the wrong place. And so part of your whole life, embracing aspects of, of an old covenant finds you years later um, as a, a judgmental, bitter, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, kind of a person. And, and so this is not, I'm, I'm, this is not a judgment. I'm, I'm telling you my life. Okay, here you go. There's my life. Because um, I started out, I got saved in 73, and the, the, the main Bible teacher that I had loved the Old Testament, which I love the Old Testament, loved Old and New, but was, he embraced so many aspects of the Old Covenant. And so I embraced them, and then I judged people for God's grace on their life. And I would get upset of God's grace on someone's life. It's like, how can he do that? I remember years, I remember I had, I judged this one pastor. I had left the church years ago and, and the pastor, he was having an affair. He was messing around with the money and it was just bizarre. And then he got blessed. I'm like, how is that? How can that happen? You know, and what the blessing did is, is the goodness of God leads to repentance. His blessing led to repentance. But I didn't want him to repent. I wanted to be mad at him and have reasons to be mad at him. I didn't want his repentance so that I had that, that repent of my own anger and bitterness. It's so much easier when everyone else is stupid. So, um, uh, when an error is seen as truth, it sends into motion false theology. 
And that false theology takes people out. And uh, <clears throat> I want to read you a story. A monk was placed in a new monastery. The monastery's function was to copy the books onto clean paper, put them into a book. As he sat down, the monsignor told him what his function was. He asked if he was going to be copying the original or another copy. The monsignor told him it was from another copy, but it was a good copy, and he was going to copy that. The new monk objected. He said he did not feel good making a copy from a copy, and he wanted to use the original text. The monsignor got very angry and said, I've been doing this almost all my life. I'm in charge. We've been doing it this way forever, and we're going to keep doing it this way. Then suddenly you come in, and you want to change everything up. It's good. Just as it is, so do it. The monk stood his ground and insisted upon seeing the original and comparing it to the copy that he had. The Monsignor grabbed the copy and said, okay, I'll check in the library where the original is. He stormed off. He was gone for hours and hours and hours. The other monks became alarmed that something might have happened to him, so they all went down to the library to see if anything was wrong. There they found the Monsignor with his head buried in his hands, crying as though his heart would break. They all gathered around and said, Monsignor, Monsignor, what's the matter? Why are you so sad? What's wrong? The Monsignor raised his hand, tears running down his face in a quivering voice. He said, I've been checking the copy against the original. The word was celebrate, not celibate. One little word of bad theology can set falsehoods into motion. If you didn't get that, ask someone after the service. <laughs> Steve's shaking his head at me. You liked it though, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, see, Jesus was born under the law. Wow. The old covenant, it didn't, when Jesus was born, suddenly, you know, it wasn't a, a big shout. The new covenant has begun. Sorry, it's my old radio voice. It, 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 it didn't start. He was born under the law. The old covenant was still going on. And so uh, there, there was no new covenant until there was an empty grave. So we've, we've got to understand that up through what Jesus is doing is not becoming the new covenant. He's fulfilling the old covenant. His life was to fulfill something. And that's why he said, as it was written, as it was written, as the prophet said. And he just kept going on fulfilling one thing after another. And people had to take notice because they knew what the promises were in an old covenant for it to be fulfilled. <clears throat> Matthew 5 and again, it's, it's not, uh, as I said, it's not 1 through, seven, uh, 1 through 19, but if you can, if you can go to 17 um, in Matthew 5, and somehow I got rid of that. There we go. <clears throat> By the way, Matthew 5, I love Matthew 5. I love the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn, that are meek, that are hungry. Oh, it's just, it's one of the most... Beautiful examples and what Jesus is trying to do, he's, he's trying to put in words of what this new grace covenant is going to look like. It's not eye for an eye, it's blessed are those. 
It's just, it's a very different kind of expression. And he's inviting people before it actually starts. He's inviting them into new concepts and new thoughts that really have always been the heart and the thoughts of God, but never got to take root because of the, the legalism of men. <clears throat> In verse 17, he says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one little uh, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So there's a, there's a moment, and, and so some of us are thinking, well, that, you know, we got to wait till it's fulfilled. Let's, let's keep going on. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled it. Um, but I, I want to, okay, this is, this is where, um, this is where if you, uh, no, I'm not going to get, uh, <laughs> the law was never meant to make us live a holier life. It was to point us to sin so that we need a redemption from sin. That's the purpose of the law. When you, when you come to a stop sign, do you hear the stop sign going, stop? No, it's just a sign to tell you to stop. Okay, it's to show you something. It, it's, it's to say what, you know, maybe there's, there's something where you see this sign and it shows this real big curve and it says 15 miles an hour. And it's 55 up to that point. You're going, oh, I wonder why we're only going down to 15 miles an hour. Well, you may not know, but the sign is there to tell you, you'd better slow down or you could go over the edge of the road. <clears throat> so it's, it's there to tell us, the law is there to tell us something about ourselves and the fact that we can't do it. So Matthew 5 comes along, and Jesus begins in this, later in this chapter, begin to, to say some things and I, that I've, I've heard, I can't tell you, a hundred times. And so the first part of my, my journey in the Lord, um, it was Jesus came along and he upped the ante. He made it harder. Wow. This seems unusual. Well, let me, let me read this. Verse 21 and 22. You've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Okay, that's, you've heard it said. In other words, in the law, this is what it said. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of that same judgment. And I remember hearing this going, oh my gosh. I've murdered so many people. <laughs> Anybody a murderer in here according to this? Three people. Anybody a liar according to this? <laughs> okay. Has anybody been angry at someone? Is anybody married? Is anybody growing up in a family? Did you ever have a teacher? Okay. <laughs> okay. So we've all done this. And I remember hearing when I first got saved, Jesus up the ante. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I thought I was evil. Now I'm the devil. <clears throat> Verse 22, A or B, and whoever says to his brother, Raka. Raka just means you're worthless or you're an empty one. It's, <clears throat> it's like not a good saying, <laughs> especially um, amongst the Jews. Who shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. Holy mackerel. 
Do you know this guy? Oh, yeah, he's a fool. Hellfire. This guy did the most foolish thing, Hellfire. <laughs> you thought it was hard before. All you had to do is think stuff and whisper. Now it's impossible. Verse 27, 28. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now I'm not going to ask the question. <laughs> But did Jesus just up the ante? But what did he up the ante to? Was he trying to make things harder for the New Testament believers at the time? No. I, I don't think that's what Jesus was trying to do. I've had it. That's how I was taught. That's what I was taught. I, I personally believe Matthew 5 is Jesus not trying to make us feel worse or that purity is now even harder. I believe he's saying, you thought you could try here but I'm going to make sure that you can't make it unless you have me. I'm going to make the law so hard, it, you thought it was possible in your own righteousness, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to up the ante in the old covenant so that you thought it was just being, you know, killing. Now it's anger. Oh, well, then I have to have help. Yes, you do. Thanks, Tom. Otherwise, what he's saying is the new covenant has a higher standard than the law. It's a higher law. Well, in a sense, it kind of is, but then he comes along and fulfills it. So he removes our punishment for that which we thought was impossible. That's called rest. That's why I can rest when I act like a doofus. And I say, Lord, I'm really sorry. He goes, well, I'm so glad <laughs> you were a doofus. Yes, I was. <laughs> so. <clears throat> oh. The law is so much fun. It'd be good if we could keep it. But the failure to do the tiniest detail of law makes us guilty of all of it. The tiniest detail. We miss, boom. I love this, Galatians 3.3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Nathan said this last week. I just I want to say it again. I'll, I'll repeat some of the things. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Your inability to, to help yourself from not being angry brings you hellfire unless he comes and fulfills the law. He did. His whole life was about fulfilling the law. The writer of Hebrews chapter 8, I always think it's Paul, but they always say the writer because it doesn't say who it is. Um, <clears throat> maybe the Lord spoke to one of you. I had a, years ago, I had a guy that said, the Lord spoke to me who Hebrews writer was. I said, really? That's very interesting. Who do you think it is? And they told me who it was. And then a couple years later, someone said, the Lord told me that who uh, the writer of Hebrews was. And they told me a different person. So... <laughs> I just looked and just thought, yep. The Holy Spirit was the writer of Hebrews. I, I'm pretty sure that that's what the Lord told me. He uh, says this in chapter 8. If the old covenant had been faultless, I love this, this. If the old covenant had been faultless or perfect, there would be no need for another covenant. 
Therefore, God has made the first covenant obsolete. And that which is obsolete is vanishing away. Another translation said, it's turning to dust and blowing away. Wow, I don't want that covenant. And those that fight this word, I don't know what they're fighting for. If you're sitting there going, well, Chris, I disagree. I think that the old covenant, it's got some beautiful, there are still things that we need to do. No, we don't. Otherwise, you are going against Romans, Hebrews, and Galatians, and you're writing your own New Testament in, in your own wisdom and in human understanding because you want it to fit the judgment that you have of others. That's, that's not a way to, to receive the word of God. This is, this is the most, this should be the most, or if one of the most the freeing words that you ever hear. Not because Nathan and I are saying it from here, because God said it and invited us into a whole new way of peace. I don't have to do things to fulfill what I think are, are undone orders. Fulfilling the law, you know, what does that mean, fulfilling the law? Well, I'm going to do a, I taught junior high, as I said, for seven years. So here we go, junior high. We're going to make a volcano. No, we're not going to make a volcano. <laughs> That's what everybody does in junior high. I did that. The, the junior high teacher I, I had at the time uh, was uh, Mrs. Verplank. And her daughter, Diane, was in my class. And Diane had a new dress, and she was sitting in the front row. And it came time for Chris to do his experiment. So my experiment had baking soda and vinegar. And you know what happens when you put baking soda and vinegar together. So what I did was I had baking soda and vinegar, and I put them down in this little thing, and I, I had shaped a volcano kind of a thing. I didn't realize that the top wasn't facing perfectly up. It was kind of like this. So I put the, I put the vinegar in there, and then I put the baking soda in a tissue, and I lowered the tissue in, knowing that it would take a few seconds for the tissue to... to <laughs> to get covered and dissolve. And, and thank you, I need my scientist up front here telling me the words dissolve, Chris. It's not, it's not difficult. <laughs> um, and so I, I put the top on and suddenly you could just, and the thing just shot right out. I was just so happy, but it shot right onto Diane's new dress. I'm thinking, well, there goes my good mark for that one. Um, <clears throat> but we're not doing a volcano today. Um, this is... This is the, the old covenant, <laughs> and, and through the I'm, I'm doing this because, uh, well, you know why. <laughs> if it weren't there, we would, we would have a big mess. So the old covenant is there, and Jesus comes along. Watch a dozen men leave the auditorium. <laughs> My wife is watching right now. I'm going to hear about this when I get home. (laughs) 
Okay, I don't know if you can see that, but you know when it, something is full, it gets actually a little rounded at the top? Okay, Jesus fulfilled the covenant. You can't put anything more in there. It's filled. Okay, you can't add more. And then we come along thinking, well, yes, I can. <laughs> I have my own righteousness. Look what my righteousness does. Your righteousness makes a mess. That's what, that's what it does. It covers everything else. If I didn't have this here, it would be a mess. But that's what our lives become. They, we don't find peace in the kingdom. We find constant uh, uh, um, <sighs> struggle. And now I've got a mess up here. Thank God for grace. <laughs> So what am I supposed to do that now it's fulfilled? Well, I'll tell you what. We're supposed to drink it in. That's what it's for. He filled it up so we can drink it in. That's why he said in John 4 to the Samaritan woman, whoever drinks of this water, I'll give them, they'll never thirst. Why won't they ever thirst? Because the cup is constantly filled. And it's there for you to drink. What is the cup? It's the cup of the fulfillment of all your unrighteousness being turned around and finding yourself righteous and standing pure before God. I love that. Moving now. Oh. <laughs> this is not grace because it's flimsy. By the way, grace is never flimsy. It's not sloppy. It's not a lot of things. And, and uh, let, let me give you a, a teaser for next week. We talk about sloppy grace. We talk about hyper grace. And we get all sorts of warnings from different people about those things. But have we ever looked at the words that are attached to grace in the New Covenant and the New Testament? There are literal words the word hyper, and it's in the Greek, I can spell it for you next week. I'll do a terrible job if I did this this week. But the word hyper is before the word grace in the New Testament. Ooh, that's just the beginning of what it says, what grace is. Next week, I want to go into grace in more detail. I want to make grace so available that you can't stand it. You don't know what to do with it. It's like, how can that be? God can't, no, no, no. God, he can't give that amount of grace. It'll make people sin. Really, find that one in Scripture for me. I know you can go to Romans and say, should we not con you know, continue in sin that grace may abound? That's Paul's question. He says it twice in that chapter. And then later on in that chapter, he fulfills it by not saying it's what we do, it's who we are. The revelation of who we are in Christ is the revelation of who we are in grace. If you have a revelation of who you are in Christ, that's good. But if you don't attach grace to it, then you are still trying to do something to gain the position in Christ that you've achieved. Mm. Thanks. It is. So many of us work so hard. Galatians 4, as we find the beautiful scripture, 
Because you are sons, God sent forth his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through Christ. Now, ladies, obviously, that's not just talking about men. That's, that's talking, <clears throat> um, well, if, you know, we're the bride of Christ. We got to deal with that as men. And you're sons of God, and you have to deal with that. It's just, it's a term of inclusion, not exclusion. <clears throat> Condemnation makes us feel we have to do something to get out of how we sinned. Realizing if we can attach his death and resurrection, if we can attach all that we know of what Jesus did in our lives and what he did for us, in that moment, if we can attach to it, we now have, we have a, a, a safety line to grab onto. If we don't attach the grace of God to our inability to be perfect, then we are trying to do steps in the natural to get back in, in favor with God. <clears throat> I hope that made sense. <clears throat> because grace is the unconditional, unmerited favor of God toward us. It's, it's unconditional, which means you can't do anything to make it happen. Unmerited. Unmerited. Unconditional and unmerited favor of God toward us. If we don't see ourselves as having that availability to step in, because when, when I mess up, when you mess up, what do we usually do? First John, we ask for forgiveness. Immediately we go there. We said, so, you know, if we've, uh, we confess our faults one to another, we may be sinned from James. Uh, in First John, it talks about uh, our, our sins being forgiven and the the aspect, the first thing we do is we go for, for forgiveness of sin. Great. I love that. Beautiful. We should, we should ask forgiveness. Now, there are some that say, no, we're so forgiven in Christ that we should never ask forgiveness. Well, <clears throat> I don't agree with that. That's just me. I do it because I, if I hurt someone, I'm not going to go, uh, they know. I forgive them. It's fine. Well, no. <laughs> it's I don't need to ask forgiveness of people I hurt. Yes, you do. We should be so willing to go low that our life is about going low so that God can make us go up. So live in lowness, in a sense. Uh, so, so forgiveness is great, but forgiveness doesn't make you live again. You have to have a revelation of a hand helping you up and pushing you forward, and that's grace. It's, it's just, the, it's well, Lord, I screwed up. I know, I know. Yeah, but Lord, I don't, it's not deserved. But Lord, I, I don't, you know, what do I have to do? No, it's not merited. It's nothing you do. Here, let's walk together. That's what grace, forgiveness cleanses us. Grace tells us, come walk again. We need it, others need it. Someone made this comment to me one time, and I, I shared just a little bit of what I'm sharing this morning. It was about a five, ten minute little blurb on, on grace one time. And, and they said, well, yeah, that, that's great. So you just have the grace of God <clears throat> and now you're supposed to just feel good about yourself because God's grace and you sit around and you enjoy your freedom. Well, yes and no. I don't sit around, but I do enjoy the freedom. So what am I supposed to do then? Well, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. <clears throat> I'm supposed to bear fruit. If you don't have grace and you bear fruit, I don't want the fruit. 
That's, that's why I think, that's why I think Paul put Galatians 5 in Galatians, the bearing fruit follows the receiving of grace. If you don't receive grace, heaven help the fruit. Does that make sense? I, I, I cringe sometimes uh, when someone begins to talk to me and, and they, they talk in, in harshness. They talk about God uh, being judgmental or uh, giving judgment. And they, they go on and I just think, oh my, 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 my. The fruit that you're bearing because of theology that you've gotten. <clears throat> Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it says this, against such there is no law. Here's the law again. Paul's putting the law in there. What does he mean by that? No law can limit the beautiful grace and fruit of God. So in other words, you're to cast off the aspects of the law, receive the grace of God, and then begin to bear fruit. The fruit of the grace of God is joy. It's peace. It's kindness. It's gentle. That's the fruit. The fruit of judgment is a critical heart. It's not, it's not believing someone. It's, it's always having a, a reason to, to stay separated or distant from someone. Not giving your heart away. Again, Galatians 9, or 6 9, excuse me. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we're going to reap if we don't give up. So, what am I saying here? <clears throat> Receive the grace of God. Jesus fulfilled everything that you think you need to do in order to receive fully the grace of God. He already took care of it. Okay, now what do I do? Now you rest. Does that mean I don't do anything? No. It means you go out and bear fruit. You rest, let your spirit rest in having to accomplish something to prove something to God. Let that thing die because it's already died. Jesus took care of it. Yeah, but you don't know me. Yeah, but I know God. Yeah, but you don't know the background I have. I don't care. <coughs> he doesn't care. See, that which he's dealt with, he's forgotten. He can't forget. Well, you can choose to not remember. You can choose to not bring up. That's the grace of God. By the way, the only one that ever brings up your faults is not God. Think about that. If he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness and someone takes it out, well, that, it's not God that was fishing. Paul says in Galatians 1, so many of you are turning away from the gospel of grace to a different grace, oh, to a different gospel. If your gospel isn't filled with grace, it's not Christ's gospel. Okay? Someone, someone was able to get to you with a different gospel. They intertwined the law into a new covenant understanding. Chris, you're sounding like you don't like the new covenant or the old covenant. I love the old covenant because what it did, it showed me that I need Jesus. I am so grateful for everything that showed me I need Jesus. Well, do you like the, the, old, the old Testament? I love the old Testament. I read it all the time. 
We have meeting prayer meetings, and, 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 and when the prayer meetings that we have, if anybody's got a word, I almost always have something from, from the Old Testament. I just, I love it. Isaiah, the Psalms, uh, the, the, the Pentateuch, I, I, I read it all the time. But I, the Old Covenant is now useless, and it's blowing away. I don't need it, because the one that came, came to fulfill it. <clears throat> Martin Luther, his favorite book was Galatians. And this is what he said. To be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace by grace alone is the hardest thing I've had to convince people of. Wow. Realize that? One of the hardest things that pastors, that people is to convince someone that they don't have to fulfill a law that has already happened. Don't let anyone give you a different gospel. Live in grace. Be a giver of grace. Those that give grace bear fruit. Do me a favor. Just set your hand on your heart for a second. Tyler, if you're around, you can get ready if you would. Come on up. Well, Lord, <clears throat> we're just simple people. But I look at that simple water glass, and it suddenly is filled. And I can't add anything to it. If I do, it just makes a mess. So, Lord, we ask you to help us see what you have done so that we can rest in grace and not try to fulfill something that's already been fulfilled. We don't have the power to do it. It can never happen. It's like a missile that's off, just one or two degrees. I don't want years from now, our lives to be off because we missed the grace of God and the peace that comes with that. So bless us to see your word how you wrote it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.